Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of Damsels in the DMs. Dear Damsels, I have been straight my entire life and grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. I was popular growing up and dated boys, but was never really interested in them sexually. But then I got to Berkeley and recently just had my first kiss with a girl. I'm in a sorority and my friends are very similar to the people I was friends with in Wisconsin, which means that I would be mortified to come out. I know Berkeley is supposed to be accepting, but the Greek life community doesn't really give me that vibe. XO, I kissed a girl and I liked it. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. Uh-huh. What's the there's some damsels in the DM. Yeah. Yeah. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. I'm Ash. And today we have the amazing Heather Terman, who is a comedian, screenwriter, and filmmaker on the podcast. Honestly, this was a really great episode. We got so much out of it. She was so kind and generous in the story of her life and just basically walking us through her her dating life, which is so freaking cool. So Heather is married to Heather Matarazzo from The Princess Diaries. Um, if you Google her, you will see it all over Google. Um, and Heather and I actually know each other because so I was in the project How to Hack Birth Control, which is directed and written by Sassy Moen. And Heather, our Heather Turman, who comes on the podcast today, um, she has a podcast called Indie Women that Sassy was a guest on. And Heather, Sassy, and I all just went to Arkansas to go to the Bentonville Film Festival together. So we shared a hotel room for a week. So I can tell you that Heather is an amazing person because um, you really get to learn every side of a person when you uh, spend a week with them in a hotel room so um i'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode i know we've had a lot of career content lately and this one definitely has a strong dating focus yes we decided to go back to our roots and include more dating uh centered episodes and just stories because that's you know that's the core of damsels and we know that this is what you guys love exactly all right let's take a dive in we are so excited to have you hello yeah thank you for having me And Heather and I know each other through How to Hack Birth Control, which I've talked on the podcast before. Sassy was actually on your podcast, right, Heather? Yes, yeah. I um, have a podcast that's on hiatus. I thought I was going to bring it back this summer, but life is getting in the way. But Indie Women, it's an indie filmmaking podcast for women. And uh, yeah, Sassy was a guest on that. So funny. Which just shows you how these podcast friendships can really uh, go on to develop because we were in Arkansas and you guys met on a podcast, which is crazy. (laughs) <laughs> exactly you know like ultimately at the end of the day it's a it's a chance it I always look at podcasts as like you know it's just it's a beautiful connection you know it's a discussion and like we don't do that very often anymore yeah. you know what I mean everything's bite-sized so it's so great to sit down and talk with people for like a lengthy period of time and get to know people yeah 
it's like a fast track way to speed up your friendship to get into that deeper mm. conversation right away. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm bummed that Alejandro's not here because he is also from Michigan, but I want to get a little bit of information on your background. I know that you came from a small town in Michigan, ended up in LA, and just take us through all of that to getting to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, it's been a mess. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I came out right after high school. I went to college here, but just like a commuter school, Cal State LA. Um, and I just studied English. I, I wish I'd gone to film school at the time. You know, I was like, this, this was 2005. So the internet and like YouTube and things like that were just like, just getting off the ground. There was really no, you know, like I, like I actually, when I first moved here, like checked, like, you know, film crew stuff and, and casting calls and like the back of like, you know, newspapers of LA weekly and stuff. It was wild. And yeah, so I, so I didn't know really like how to get started in entertainment. I knew this was what I wanted to do. Uh, I always knew I was a writer and I liked performing a little, but like, I wasn't, I think, secure enough to be vulnerable enough to say like, I want to act, you know, um, it just made me sort of afraid. So I, I ended up exploring improv and then went through some personal stuff. And that led to me reading some like little journal entries. And I was like, these are funny. I should say this on stage. It sounds like a comedy that, you know. And so I tried stand up and fell in love with it. I, I then did that for, you know, pretty hardcore for a good, you know, six to eight years. It's been off and on for the last few, but so I've been in it about 11 years now. Yeah. And then I uh, sold a screenplay and uh, wrote and produced another indie film. Um, and that really, you know, got me on my track now, which is definitely, you know, a screenwriter first. And I love producing. So I do produce as well. Um, and I'm hoping to direct more. And yeah, that's just where I'm at. It makes me laugh that you thought acting would be more vulnerable than doing stand-up or improv. Because to me, those are way more vulnerable than acting. Stand-up yeah. is like the scariest thing that I could ever imagine doing. <laughs> and every, you know, actors always say that. Are you an actor? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And actors always say that. And, and um, I understand that to a degree, but I also... Um, you know, at least for me, like what I've, I've done a lot of like, part of the reason that I no longer really like attack stand up or really give as much energy to it as I once did is, you know, I healed a lot of, of, you know, traumas and different things like that, that I think made me seek external validation. Um, and I really started to realize that stand up is, is such a deflection, you know, every, all the pain that is felt is, you know, deflected into jokes and humor, which is one way to work with it for sure. Um, but actors, you know, actually go through the emotions and they like, you know, welcome those things. And so like, there is, you know, I think a, a much deeper vulnerability to acting. That's a really interesting perspective. And I'm going to remember that moving forward because I'm in a Meisner class right now and it is very vulnerable, just a lot of emotions coming out and feeling everything, but still like, Every time, so my friends went to go see a stand-up show last weekend, and I every time someone says stand-up, I like I love it, but I my heart just like or my stomach just drops for the person who's on stage because I still like for me it's like the most vulnerable thing being up on stage and cracking jokes that may not land, and then having to kind of just like okay, like it's okay that you know like people didn't laugh at my jokes, but just keep going, and this might maybe a disaster, but like keep keep doing it, keep going uh, with it. So 
I really commend people who like do that one stand that first stand up show and then keep going and keep, you know, getting up on that stage every night or every weekend or something. Absolutely. I do think that you have, there's a certain level of delusion that you have to be have to, to do it like at all at first. And I think like, that's the thing too. Once you start to become a little more self-aware and you, you're, it's kind of like, what am I doing? Like, what? I can't believe I said that on stage in front of strangers, you know? And what do you think made you make the move from, because I know you said that you're not going to comedy as much at this point, that you're kind of transitioning more into the screenwriting, directing, producing field. Like, why do you think that you've decided to make that jump? Um, I, I feel like it's a, a, a bunch of different things. I mean, first and foremost, this has always been like my first true love. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, took my parents' camcorder and made movies with my friends for, during sleepovers my whole life. So that was always something that, that I did. Um, and it was always the way that I loved to express myself, you know, first and foremost. And stand-up actually was, like I said, something that I fell into. And I ended, it ended up feeding the, the desire I did have to perform. Um, but it comes with, like, the crafting of a particular persona, and so I had this like stage persona and I sort of feel like I outgrew it. Like I no longer, it no longer spoke to me. And I felt like every time I was getting on stage, I started to feel like, you know, I was lying, you know, like it just started to feel kind of dirty. And I, and part of me knew that it was because I wasn't putting in the effort to write new material that was reflective of where I was at currently, you know? Um, and I think like that was the thing. I just wasn't compelled the deeper I got with screenwriting, the, the more um, I was compelled to tell stories in a longer format. You know, um, standup is, is bit pieces and, and it's really great. And you can make a lot of beautiful points in a short amount of time. And, you know, it's a really beautiful way to connect with people about the human experience. But it's also you have to really love it because the amount of time and energy that it takes. And, um, you know, when you're doing when we, you talk about doing something for like 10,000 hours to become like a master at it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Stand-up is like you get three, five minutes, you know what I mean? Like when you're first starting out and you graduate to like 10 and 15, you know, it probably takes like five years to be good at a half hour. And then, you know, by year 10, you should have a full hour that's solid, but like, you know, it just, it really takes a long time to get to that place and it takes a lot of energy. And so if you don't like really, really love it, um, and I think like, that's the thing for me. I just started to get to this place where I realized, like, I don't know if I love it that much or if I'm forcing it because it's brought me the most success, but screenwriting always did too, because I did sell that screenplay. And yeah. And so just lately, I just feel myself being much more drawn and interested in longer form storytelling. And, um, and I get so excited about like reading a good script, wanting to make a good script better. Um, just even before I got on with you guys, I'm um, outlining a feature that I hope to finish by the end of August. I'm like going back to the drawing board with it. I've already sort of have a, a draft, but I'm re-outlining it. And yeah, you know, I just, I, I'm excited about that these days. You're talking about writing a draft. So then we have to ask you, since it's a dating podcast, is your wife going to be in this next feature? <laughs> and then as much as you feel comfortable taking us on that journey with you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I actually did randomly include her in a brief moment as like a cameo only because, and not that she's like known enough. I just put it as like a placeholder, but this experience really happened to her. Um, and so I like put her in it. It was just like somebody, you know, the main character is like delivering weed and a known actor answers the door. And so there's, there's a moment within it about that, but 
Um, but generally, no, the strangest thing is that like we met on the set of the indie film that I wrote and produced. She, she starred in that and it was called Stuck. And she was great in it. She's a really, like everybody on set was like, oh my God, this is like one of the most talented actors I've ever worked with. She's so in the moment. It was just so impressive to like watch somebody just be so committed to the moment and be so present like that. Um, but strangely, like, I don't know if I see her, see where she fits in as an actor currently. I know her, who she is as a person so deeply that if it like, I have an idea for a pilot actually for, for based on our um, life and marriage for sure. And I, obviously that would be a version of herself, but I don't see, I, I kind of feel like she's like in a weird spot age wise and like, you know, niche wise, like where she fits in. So yeah, I don't, I don't write a lot for her, <laughs> which is weird. And I always think that I'm like, I have, uh, you know, an actor that I live with who has like a, a fair amount of clout. Why don't I, but yeah, I just, nothing's spoken to me yet. So, by the way, I'm a big fan of Princess Diaries, and I'm sure you get that a lot, or she gets that a lot. Um, but going back to Stuck and how you met on, you know, on set, um, did you have any power of who you wanted to uh, have as a lead? Because she was the lead in your in that uh, film. Did you have any power to make that decision that you wanted her? And were you? Did you like? How did that relationship grow basically from working together to now being, you know, in a beautiful marriage? I did have, I did have power. We, my writing partner and I wrote it and decided to produce it. And then we brought this other woman on board to direct initially, but she also wanted to produce. So then she produced with us and it became the three of us. And she, we all sat down. It very much was a collaborative, you know, like throwing out names, throwing out options who we all saw in the role, who's like the type of energy for the character of Darby. Um, and we, and somewhere along the line, her, the, the director, one of the, um, this woman, Jillian, her, a friend of hers, who was a casting director, formerly, she used to be a casting director, but now she isn't, um, had mentioned to her or like, yeah, Jillian reached out to her being like, oh, anybody in this age range, like sort of like you can think of. And she mentioned Heather, um, she's like, what about Heather Monterazzo? And Jillian wasn't really familiar with Heather's work, but like I knew immediately and I was like, yes, I can imagine her saying every single line. Absolutely. So I immediately was like, yes. Um, my writing partner, Dave, he was, um, the other producer, he was pretty on board with it as well. He was like, yeah, yeah, she's a good option. And Jillian wasn't totally sold, but she was in, she was like into it, into exploring it. So she decided to call her um, to get connected with her. So Mara, the former casting director friend put them in touch. And after talking on the phone, Jillian said, yes, you know, um, she's, she seems right for it. And also she's down for it. So, so that's how it happened. And then, you know, we met on at a table read for all the actors and, uh, you know, she was different than I thought she would be based on the roles she plays and, and, um, and all that good stuff. And we just were, had a professional relationship. We worked together on the film. There was nothing strange, nothing weird. And then as the film was starting to come to a close, it was that thing where it was like, there had been like a minor flirtation. And then at the, on the last day, I remember when we wrapped, um, I really wanted to, my instinct was immediately to find Heather and hug her. And you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you, you wrap this project. 
Um, and like the costume chick like knocked over her beer <laughs> and like, so I, I was cleaning it up. And um, so I, Heather like went outside and so we never got that opportunity. And then she texted me the next day and was just like, you know, I'm going to miss seeing you every day. And it just sort of started from that, you know, that just this realization of like, I'm going to miss seeing this person every day. So yeah. <laughs> and you know, my favorite part of the story, because when you told me the story, I was like, okay, can you please come on and say this? Was that first of all, to Heather and Heather. Yes. <laughs> um, but when you meet Heather, you're married. Yes. Yes. I was married. Um, and Heather was also living with a partner um, that she'd been with for four years. And um, I had been, I also shared this with you, Lauren, I, I had been in another relationship where I'd been left for somebody else before. And, and that had been a very terrible experience. And so like, I, I do think the great benefit of that pain um, from years prior was that I didn't want to hurt anybody um, and wanted to handle the situation with, with great care. And so, yeah, Heather and I were both in other relationships and we realized we had feelings and we immediately told our respective partners and we said, we don't know, you know, what this is, but there's feelings here. And my ex and I, at first, you know, we're going to try to like work through everything, but like we went on our anniversary trip together and it just was like this, like grief, this like death in my heart and my stomach, because I just knew that like, we shouldn't have gotten married. We were married less than a year. Um, at, at our anniversary trip was like, right at, you know, we split up right then. And yeah. And it was just this thing where we like Heather and I, there was no cheating. There was no anything it very much was just like this mature like if both like if I'm married less than a year and I'm able to even get feelings for somebody else that like I you know have barely that I've only really you know spoken to you know and had like a creative experience with like that tells me that that marriage um probably isn't right regardless you know what I mean um because within myself it was like if I leave this marriage it has to be not specifically for one person. Like it has to be like, this is wrong. This is not my life. Because like Heather and I had this moment on set where I, we like locked eyes. It was, it was on the last day. And it was like, I literally like, I looked over the director's shoulder and she was sitting in the back of this car for this scene. And we locked eyes in this moment. And it was like, time stood still. And later she brought that up to me and she was like, do you remember we were like in the scene? And I was like, oh my God, like, that's exactly what happened. And like, you know, my experience too. And it was just like lifetimes, just like flashing before your eyes. So that we both knew on a very deep level that there was something that we had to explore, you know, um, with this. And so we both told our partners and, and ultimately left those relationships. Um, and in the end, it ended up being the best thing for everybody, you know, cause we listened and we didn't make a mess by lying and being secretive and, you know, so, yeah. That's really commendable. And that's like, that is really important. What you said about leaving a relationship, not for someone else, but basically for yourself, you know, mm -hmm. it's, that is exactly what you did. And that's, that, that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was scary. I'd never, I'd always been the one broken up with. I'd never left anything before. And so the considering like leaving them, I like knew I was like, yeah, I, I know this is the one time, like there was just this deep guiding uh, pull to say like, this is your path. You need to, yeah. 
And when you, the time that you're talking about, when you were left, you were left for somebody going for somebody else who had the same name, right? Yes. <laughs> Which is that like, way. yeah, <laughs> that was the craziest. I mean, yeah, when I first, I mean, it was so wild. So yeah, my ex, um, her first name was Emily and she had left me for a, a, a woman named Emily who, and I had caught them cheating and that's why it was deeply, deeply oh. painful. Um, but her name, her name was Emily and she had been like an actor as a child. So when this happened in my life, I was like, I literally got sick to my stomach. As I said it to my, my ex, uh, wife, Felicia, I literally was like, this is what happened with, with Emily and me. And I just feel so sick to my stomach, but like, you know, this is why I have to be honest about it. This is why I have to tell you about it. This is why I can't hide about it or, you know. Um, because ultimately like in marrying someone, like you promise to protect their heart. Right. And I knew in the longest, like in the grand scheme of things that that is what I was doing, even though it was going to be like painful in the short term. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that parallel and the fact that that like is real is so, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff like you can't write, you can't make up, but just you really yeah. cannot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to me it also shows like what a moment of fate it was also like the fact that like the universe is like putting you in a situation where history is repeating itself and you still have to say I know that I've been here before but I'm still going to make this decision because it's right for me yes 100 percent. well and it suddenly was like that thing of like maybe I had to go through that so that I didn't go through this plagued with guilt and regret you know so that I could handle this in a in a more mature way because I've been on the other side of it um in a more gen and like a gentle way but yeah it was, it, it was like fate and there was this really wild uh you know sort of experience where and it sounds so cheesy and um I was never someone to to talk like this you know back then but like you know there really was this feeling of like I feel like everything I've ever made in every decision I'd ever made in my life was because I was on a search for Heather. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh. like, and you find this thing and you're like, this is what I was always searching for, you know? And there was a lot of weird little connections too that led Heather to that set. And like just all these, um, her dog, for instance, that woman, the casting director who recommended her, um, she was at, she's actually a photographer as well. And she was um, taking photos of people with their pets um, before their pets died. And so Heather was losing her dog of 13 years. And so Mara had just gone over there and taken these photos, you know, of her with, with her dog, Henry. And then because of that experience is why she thought to recommend her to, to Jillian for a project. And, you know, they had only met because Heather had done Grey's Anatomy and connected with an actor on Grey's Anatomy, who is the one who gifted Heather with the with the photographs of with the photography experience so it's just like that weird thing of like if Heather hadn't done Grey's Anatomy if she didn't you know become friends with that person who then gifted her with this who then you know like we wouldn't have crossed paths though oddly enough in 2015 Heather liked and retweeted a tweet of mine and we didn't follow each other and no it was way. so yes it was so weird and like later I like I remembered it like when we were like in our relationship. Um, but there was always like these weird, um, I'd gone with my ex to see sisters Christmas of, of 2015. And so we filmed the feature stuck in 2016. 
So, um, and I remember when Heather came on screen in the movie Sisters, I was like, oh, I didn't know she was in this. I like her. I like Heather Monterazzo. Cool, you know? And cut to like a year later and Heather and I are like shacking up. You know what I mean? Like so weird. But I always have these moments of remembering. Like I remember reading. I remember when I found out that she identified as a lesbian. I remember, you know, seeing um, and hearing that her and her former fiance, Caroline, split. So there was like all these like little moments, you know, that when you look back on, you're like weird. They were like these little seeds, you know, I don't know. So when you guys decided to, you know, um, did you have a conversation with each other about splitting up with partners or were you like, let's just be friends? Like, how did it come so that you both split up with your partners? Um, And then how long was it after that you guys got together? So, um, like I said, she texted me right after the day after the shoot. And I had already been feeling this feeling because when we wrapped, my instinct was to hug her and not, I didn't even consider the fact that, that my ex, um, you know, Felicia was there on set and that, that plagued me. There was this feeling inside where I was like, what the fuck, you know, like that's, this is so fucked up. Heather texts me the next day and I'm immediately like, oh no. So we decide to have, we, we text back and forth a little bit. It's a little bit friendly because we were just talking about maybe writing together and all this stuff. But then as she's asking me about myself and, you know, you're just like getting to know someone, you can feel that there's um, some kind of, you know, romantic interest there. And so we just, we hopped on the phone and I told her like, you know, she's like, I don't know what this is. And I'm like, I know, but like, I'm married. And I was like, I'm married. Like, I need to talk to Felicia. Like, I don't know what this is either, but like, I definitely don't feel good about having these conversations until like I talked to Felicia, you know? Um, and so Felicia and I had a very painful talk and then, um, you know, we thought everything was going to be fine. Like at the end of the day, like I had to shut that down, like, because I was married, you know, and then, um, we went to, with the director of stuck, Heather and myself, we were already supposed to, we had this scheduled, um, with the on location project in LA, Heather was like hosting and we were all going to go. So we could like, you know, start to just like get out on the scene together for like the film. And so we like go to it. And the moment that we walk into the, that I walk into the director's house and Heather's like there, like my stomach drops. And I'm just like, fuck, we are in fucking trouble. And so we talked about it that night. And I just said, we're awful people. Like we're awful people. And Heather's just like, no, like if we were awful, we'd be like fooling around in the bathroom. We'd be touching. We're not, you know? Um, and so that made me feel like a little bit better for sure. And so we really just talked about it. It was really just like, it was definitely intimate conversation that, you know, would border on emotional, an emotional affair, I would say. But like, at the same time, we were very delicate and we were honest and forthcoming with our respective partners. And so then the rap party comes the day after that. And the director comes running up to me because Heather ended things with her partner of four years. And Heather very much was just like, I, she's just not a liar. She can't lie. She, and she just was like, this has shown me that um, I'm deeply unhappy and I, I want to explore this other thing. But even if it doesn't pan out, um, I know that we need to end. And, and so, um, and that was just like wild because I was just like, oh my God, like, like A, just the, how brave that was, you know? And then that just, I think, put it a little bit in perspective for me. And and so then I went on, you know, my ex and I went on our um, anniversary trip and 
it was just like everything was gone. There was just like, just this, it was just a deep heartbreak. The whole trip was just a, a grief and us talking about like how we never had anything to talk about, you know, and how even like the wedding didn't feel like our day. It felt like her day. And like, there was just, you know, I felt like I was living a life that wasn't mine. And that's what, you know, that all sort of revealed that experience revealed to us, but yeah. So that's, that's how it, that's the nitty gritty. This is the most honest I've ever been about it in terms of the very specific details that I've ever spoken about it. So um, I hope an exclusive interview. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. We've always sort of danced around it, you know, like we've always just sort of said, you're like, yeah, yeah, we were with other people, but you know, um, but yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, um, and I even admitted that we probably had conversations we shouldn't have had, but technically there was no cheating. And we, that's something that I always, I think when you build a relationship, when you begin that way, like we have such a deep level of trust and, and like, honesty, our communication is so like, cause we both went through the end of a four-year relationship together. Like we yeah. held space mm -hmm. for each other. Like she cried about her ex. I cried about my ex and we just went through that together. You know, I, yeah. I also think it's so interesting what you said about being on that trip with your ex and having nothing to talk about, because I think of you as being so inquisitive and interested. And like, I feel like you always have something to talk about. So the fact that like you couldn't find anything to talk about with this person, I feel like just shows that you were really grieving that relationship. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and that was like, I think our, our, our main fight, our main argument all the time was how, you know, it would begin with like, how's your day? Fine. I mean, like, how was work? fine like just no opening up and I'd just be like share with me open up with me you know open up to me like I want to know about your life um and she had had a job she was a social worker and she always worked in really um selfless really difficult um emotional jobs you know um she worked in hospice care um and then she also worked in a job where she was helping house the homeless and so you know she would say that it she wasn't prepared to talk about work, that it was too much. She couldn't talk about it. But I think those walls, you know, um, I mean, on like a deep level, I know that the lack of opening up and, and the, the walls that she would put up were something that most definitely was a, a trauma response. She lost her mom when she was young. And, you know, she, on a deep level, didn't want to let people in because for fear that if they left her, and that's ultimately, sadly, what ended up happening, right? because I tried so hard to get her to open up to me. And, and so there just, there wasn't that. And, and I do know that through the, the end of our relationship, she did end up finding something like that with the next person because she obviously was no longer willing to put up those walls and not risk being vulnerable ever again, you know, because it had cost her so greatly. Um, and she reached out about a year after we split and just had told me, like, I completely understand why we ended like I have this thing with you know this other person now and I and you know she was a social worker that person was a nurse and so they are just like the same do you know what I mean they're both just perfect for each other so yeah so I think that like there was a lot of pain within our breakup but I also within our divorce but I also um you know, th that the root of it was stuff that needed to be healed, I think on both ends for us, like we weren't going to be able to be in healthy, committed, vulnerable, open, intimate relationships without going through the end of us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. So beautiful how it played out because like, uh, you know, you're always going to have to go through this pain and this hurt to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And there's always going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. Like there always will be. And through our experiences in life, everyone, we've gone through painful things and we've seen that we can come, you know, out the other side happier and just like the best version of ourselves. So that's really beautiful how it, how it worked out for everyone. Yes. Yes. And it's nice to be on the other side because there was a lot of pain. (laughs) Yes. There was a lot of grief, a lot of feelings. Yeah. I want to go back to how you were talking about how you felt like dirty with your identity as a comedian, because you no longer um, were feeling some of the things that you were talking about in your comedy career. Because I remember you saying that your first relationship with the Emily's, that was your first relationship with a woman, right? Yeah. And was that like some of the the stories that happened there, what got you to start writing them down and talking about them in comedy? No, it actually happened before, at the beginning of our relationship. It was when I came out to my family. So my family like completely disowned me. And so I wrote about that. And then I was very forthcoming about that on stage. And then also over the years, as I started to, so I really just had this very much like, you know, like this doesn't hurt me sort of attitude, right? And then um, once I finally got to the, to a place where I could let those feelings in and process them and heal them, I no longer wanted to talk about my family that way. I no longer wanted to, I no longer wanted to maintain the narrative that they were the villain in my story. That that you know, yes, they made mistakes and and their beliefs are were misguided and projections of own fears and all this stuff, but like that's not for me to take personally, you know, and even though I'm hurt by it, even though I was hurt by it. And it also is something that made me so much stronger and ultimately led to the greatest, I think, um, experience of growth anyone can go through, which is that literally like being able to live in your truth, regardless of whether or not, um, your family approves of it. Right. Um, and being able to just, yeah, live in your truth and honor your truth. And so that was part of it. And then with Felicia, a lot of my material at the time that I met Heather was, and I, and I'd gotten really far. Um, I'd had like a really top, you know, manager. I was a final callback for just for laughs. I was really at this place where I was about to break and I really pulled back and shied away. And I think there was a lot of reasons why um, a, my family, I didn't want to make a name for myself based on, um, dragging them through the mud. I didn't on, I think on a deep level, I also maybe was afraid that they'd reject me again if they, cause they sort of had started to come around. It was the first time I had reconnected with my family in a really long time as well. And so that was also why I started to pull back. And then lastly, the fact that like, I had to scrap so much material that was great material about Felicia and about my life being married to a social worker. And, you know, the, the, the juxtaposition of that was stand-up comedy, you know, like that was like a lot of what I talked about in my act and um, none of that was true anymore. And then as I was, I did have a lot of material about Heather and about being divorced and all this stuff that was great. You know, I did start to write a little bit in that regard and be honest about that. And it was good, but it felt like I was doing the same, like I was like a one trick pony, like doing the same stuff. And I wanted to go deeper and I was going deeper within, you know, I was having a lot of like spiritual breakthroughs and all this different stuff. And yeah, it just started to feel like my, my, 
the drive within me, the motivating factor to get on stage and do stand up was motivated that it was all a means to an end. I was looking for a different end. Um, I didn't love the thing itself. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know how, if that answers your question, but yeah, no, that's totally. how I started. <laughs> well, and it goes back to what you were saying about how to pursue comedy you have to really want it yeah. and if you don't want it enough to drag your family through the mud and to be living in this unhappy place while wanting it then that sort of gives you your answer to go back to what your roots were from being young and picking up that camcorder right? yeah exactly and, and like I said I always film was always there I was always doing something even through uh, comedy I had done like a fun web series that I wrote produced and directed I did like, I was um, writing and directing some branded content for some companies. Like I was always doing, I, th it was always a part of my, you know, my um, Rolodex of, of work projects for sure. It was just a shift in terms of like, people are like, oh, but we see you doing comedy. Like how come you're not doing comedy anymore? And yeah, so. Yeah. Heather, going back, cause I know you touched on it a little bit and honestly, just as much as you feel comfortable um, I would love to, you know, and the listeners, I'm sure, uh, would love to hear your story coming out, how it went with your parents. Um, and just like, I I'm curious about your relationship with that, with them now, if they came around or, you know, what the situation is. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm super open about that for sure. I, I feel like, um, you know, I was 21 when I, I did and when I came up to them and I was, in a relationship for like eight months with Emily at that time. And I remember I got to this place where I was like, how am I denying this person recognition in my life? Like, I don't want to do that. Cause I just had a phone call with my mom that day. And she was like, you know, asking if I was dating anyone. And I said, I didn't want to talk to her about that. And like, whatever. And then, so Emily and I go out, we have some drinks and I'm just thinking like, how can I deny you like recognition? So I go outside a little buzz and I call my mom and I tell her and like, I, I do wish I had um, handled that a little bit more delicately. I think I had spoken to my sister beforehand and my sister was, she also was like seeing someone she shouldn't have been seeing. And it just was like the, the vibe, me and my sister both agreed that like my mom might be annoyed, but she's not going to be like, she might be mad, but it's not going to be, her, we didn't expect the reaction that she then had. Um, I mean, her reaction was because they're not religious. My parents are not religious. Um, but they are like these like country club type people who, you know, are very concerned with appearances. And so recognizing that how much my mom cared about what other people thought, I think was something that like, was just shocking to me. I, cause I didn't see her that way, but then I realized like, oh, this is exactly who she is. And she also had her own deep stuff. I think in, in regards to her own, like, um, feelings and thoughts about sexuality, but yeah, it was like, it was awful. It was awful for like five, a good five years. It was awful. Then for five years, it was back and forth. Like when, when Emily and I split up, my mom talked to me a little bit. And then when I got with Felicia, it was mean stuff again. And, you know, not really, really, really touchy, really like only call when it's something like super important or involving like a family member or something. And then when her parents died, um, I think that shifted things for her a little bit. And so she started to be more receptive. And then I got with Heather and she said I could bring Heather home for Christmas um, this one year. And, and so that was like, 
just a couple, that was two years ago. Um, and yeah, you know, like, and so it's just started to improve a little bit from there. There's still, it's still weird. My mom still tries to make us sleep in separate bedrooms, which is so fucked up. But I mean, I'm like, mom, we were married. We don't have sex. <laughs> like we, you know what I mean? She's just, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a little bit better. And I think it, you know, it's, it's a, a work in progress still, but we are in contact. And at the end of the day, I just try to forgive, you know, for what, what I, I just try to forgive them and, and not let them influence my life and, and set those boundaries, you know, because it's like, you don't get to say, and you don't get to fucking disapprove. You don't get, you, mm -hmm. I'm not asking for your approval. So don't tell me that you don't approve, you know? Yeah. I always have this thing with my parents. Um, they're Indian. So very, you know, like stuck in their beliefs and all this and um, expect me to marry an Indian man, which is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Sorry. But uh, I always say this. It's like, why don't you want your kids to be happy? Because you're choosing who you want your kids to marry. At the end of the day, your kids, you know, like your kids should be with whoever they're happy with. And that's all that should matter. Like it shouldn't matter if it's someone that you don't approve of or like let's say I can relate because my parents are the same. What will other people think? Yeah. And they're very much concerned about their community. And as much as I love my parents, God bless them. I, I try to remember that they come from like a small village in India and grew up with these strict set of rules and stuff and just have had this like super tough like upbringing on their like views but now it's like 2022 and it's like how much time can we really give our parents before it's like all right enough's enough like just you know get over it and and figure it out like this is your problem now it's not mine right I think like that's the thing I think our generation is becoming um and younger generations are are really starting to recognize early on like because patterns and psychology has made such advancements and all this different stuff. So where it's just kind of like, don't try to correct your past through me. Like I'm not yeah. like, just because you wish you maybe took that action. Like that's like a fearful regret that you are imposing upon me. Like, like, like you said, just like, as long as your kid is happy, what makes your kid happy, support them in that and, right. and support, yeah, support their happiness, whatever that is. Well, I think on that note, it is a great time to get onto this letter. <laughs> Ash, do you want to read it or should I? You can do the honors. All right, I will then. Dear damsels, I have been straight my entire life and grew up in a small town in Wisconsin. I was popular growing up and dated boys, but was never really interested in them sexually. I thought it was maybe because they were immature slash something was wrong with me slash I wasn't sexual as a person. But then I got to Berkeley and recently just had my first kiss with a girl. I'm in a sorority and my friends are very similar to the people I was friends with in Wisconsin, which means that I would be mortified to come out. I know Berkeley is supposed to be accepting, but the Greek life community doesn't really give me that vibe. I am pretty sure that I am gay, but how do I know for sure? How do I find people to test it out, not tell everyone, and let me experiment and then eventually admit this to myself slash everyone else? Also, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I feel like I don't fit the stereotype to make this identity shift. Does this even make sense? LOL. XO, I kissed a girl and I liked it. Mm -hmm. I like that sign off a lot. Very cute. <laughs> Super cute. Super cute. Um, well, I can speak to the aspect about the Greek community, because as I mentioned to Heather, I was in a sorority. And one thing that I will tell you about being in a sorority is that it does not matter at all when you graduate. So I don't think that you should be thinking like just because my friends are here that they're going to judge me. I think that the most important thing that you can be doing at this point is being honest and authentic with yourself and not worrying about what the 
um, you know, perception is going to be of this Greek life community. Because actually one regret that I have um, from college is that I didn't associate enough with theater people. And I wish that I had found um, more people who I feel like authentically represented me while I was in school. And, you know, I had a great time in Greek life. I met some of my best friends. And I think that those people can still be your best friends, but it's almost going to be just more of a challenge for them or a challenge that you're providing them to see if these people are still going to be with you when you find your most authentic self. I, yeah, I, I love that. Um, I, yeah, and I can speak to the, I can definitely speak to the, to the gay stuff. Number one, I mean, I went through this exactly, you know, um, I kept saying like, when am I going to admit this to myself? And ultimately I decided to audition for a play where for the role of a lesbian, because I was just like, so lost, you know, like so lost. And then I did the play and of course, like totally fell in love with this girl in the play with me. And then, and she had this doctor boyfriend and it just felt like heartbreak and it all hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm like, yes, I definitely need to pursue this. Um, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't fit really in with like any stereotypes. I'd always, you know, dated boys. And, and so I went on match.com back then because I didn't know what else to do. Um, and when, you know, and, and went out on a date. And I think that was very helpful because you're going to a community, you're like the internet, a online dating sucks for sure. But also it really is an opportunity for people questioning their sexuality first and foremost to um, find someone who's also looking for what they're looking for. And it, and it is sort of a safe space in that regard. Cause it's not like you're putting yourself out there to someone who is going to be like, Whoa, ew, I was not into you. Like, why did you, you know, like, yeah. um, but mainly like, I would just say like, you know, the, the, what I would say to this, to, I kissed a girl. Um, what I would say is ultimately, the, ultimately at the end of the day, what I've come to learn is that, we're actually not afraid of what other people think of us. We're afraid of what we think of us and what we will do to ourselves. We are afraid we will be harsh with ourselves. We will be unkind. And so if you come out and you're met with judgment from others, it's important to remember that judgment from anyone is really about their own issues, their own fears of self-judgment. So it really has nothing to do with you. And so the first place to start is to untangle why it is you would judge yourself for being gay or not being what other people expect you to be. Um, because that probably comes from a place from, you know, an outside source, society, your family, the sorority telling you, this is who you should be. This is the molds that we've get, that you fit into. And so we're labeling you as these things. And, um, it probably comes from external sources. And so it's like getting real clear on that and saying like, am I who I am or am I who other people want me to be? And just remembering that uh, their judgment is really just a reflection of them. Yeah. Yeah. I also feel like you could just filter out from Berkeley people, right? Like yeah. for the dating, like if you, if you're on the app, I don't know, Ash, you would know better than I would, but could you just like filter out people who go to school with you? I mean, look, I can, number one, I can speak to, I went to a college in Madison, Wisconsin. Like I understand, you know, you grew up there and it is very difficult to grow up in a place like that. I mean, I didn't grow up there. I just went to college, but still um, it was just very weird vibes from, from some people for sure. Um, but Berkeley is very close to San Francisco. And that is a big metropolitan city that you can be accepted for whoever 
you are, you know, like whatever you love, like whatever interests you, what your passions are. Like it is such an open city. And I lived in San Francisco for two years um, that yes, you can definitely Lauren go on the app and, and choose, you know. And yeah, go to San Francisco. That sounds yeah. totally like a great option. Like an, like yeah. an actual, like actionable right. thing this individual could do. Yeah. Right. So you can definitely filter out your location and, and put it in San Francisco. And I've met a shit ton of amazing people in San Francisco. And, you know, you're writing this letter. So it probably means that you're in 2022. And um, saying that, yes, I know there are a shit ton of people out there that are hor- like just so backwards in their thinking and not up to date yet. But San Francisco, you're going to, it's your safest bet. You know, you're going to find amazing women out there that you're going to connect with and just even friends to make in in the city is it's you can definitely you'll be you'll be fine yeah and I love the thing both of you said too like and you um Lauren too mentioned the sorority thing just like as a last little uh bookend just that when you the the best if if you're not received by the group of people for who you are that you're spending time with then like they're not your group of people you know um, and, and there is a community out there that will love and embrace you regardless of whatever you bring. Yeah. I have a question for you, Heather, about the bit where she says, I feel like I don't fit the stereotype to make this identity shift. Do you feel like that's a thing with people who feel like they're coming out like, oh, I don't, um, fit the mold or like, I don't have this perception of myself. Therefore I can't make this shift that does feel like it would be an authentic shift. Yes, I definitely, I mean, and that was something that I dealt with a lot, man, on the road, doing comedy in these small towns, a friend's dad, who I never really knew, because she was a friend that I made at my first little restaurant job when I was 16, her dad came to a show once. And at the end of my set, like at the end of the show, he came up to me and he's like, so you're like a lesbian, huh? He's like, you know what I think of that? And I'm like, what? And he's like, I used to work at a brewery. And every day there would be like, you know, three inches left in the bottle of each thing or in the container of each barrel that had this much yeast left in it. And we'd always throw it out perfectly good yeast. And I'd always think such a waste. That's what I think of you being a lesbian, such a waste. Like it was so offensive. And I'm just like, wow. And so there is this mentality. And I think it speaks to the internalized misogyny in all of us, because we are raised in a patriarchal capitalistic system that ultimately a woman is meant to serve a man, you know, and there is, there is that. And so, especially for a woman who doesn't, who might not be stereotypically butch. Right. And I even think that, that uh, more masculine leaning um, women who identify as women still um, who are not gender non-binary or anything like that, but who identify as women and also um, choose to present in a little bit more of a masculine manner sometimes I think those individuals, you know, there is, there's just, it's so much easier. People are more willing to accept because there is that masculine presentation. They're willing to accept like, oh yeah, yeah, you're, you can date a woman because, and a woman can date you because a woman's going to want to be with like a masculine entity. Like that's mm-hmm. just, you know what I mean? And, and there just is this inherent misogyny. And, and so I do think that like, again, like with getting to the root of that stuff, like it's so yeah, it's, it's intense. And, and that's, and it's a very real thing. And I think when I had that big manager, I was auditioning, you know, I happened to be auditioning because of comedy for a lot of like lesbian roles on like sitcoms and stuff like that and half hour comedies. And, um, I never got cast. They always cast a big butch lesbian back in at this time period. 
And I just remember thinking like, we need more representation of everyone, not just like, oh, that's a quote unquote, like lipstick lesbian. Oh, that's a quote unquote, like butch lesbian. Like, you know, no, like we just need regular people. We need to see regular people who run the gamut in terms of style and, and personal uh, physical expression. Um, it, uh, we need to see them having same sex relationships in the media so that we know that you don't have to fit a particular stereotype, you know? Yeah. I love that. And I think it's like so true because when you only have one particular way of viewing something in the media, then your mind is tricked to say, Oh, like I can only be this if I look like this. And that's so unfair. Yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Heather, for coming on and talking with us today. You have been amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I'm sorry if it got, I felt like it was so heavy and I'm like, I am funny. I promise. But (laughs) none of me, it was more emotional and honest, I guess, than, um, than funny, but yeah. Heather, we really appreciate that. Honestly, like comedy is great. We love comedy and I love to laugh, but this is just, it's so great to hear your perspective and on, you know, we have a very diverse range of listeners and it just is like, it makes my heart so happy that there's someone out there who's listening to this. Like, that's like, fuck yes like fuck yeah like I thought I was the only person or yes I can relate or you know it just you're helping our listeners and you're helping us and just it's just thank you for sharing your story because it was just so beautiful absolutely my my pleasure thank you thank you both for uh, being interested to hear it (laughs) Heather can you tell people where they can find you yeah so um I'm on social media my um my full name everywhere Heather Terman T-U-R-M-A-N is my the last name spelling um that's on twitter it's on instagram tiktok awesome well thank you heather thank you so much i appreciate it thank you all right guys as always please subscribe to our podcast on apple and spotify and write into us we have that anonymous um line where you can hit up and just type in your letters we also have a way now on our link tree i think it's through the service called anchor that you can directly record a voice note reading your letter if you don't feel comfortable typing it and you would rather have us do that for you all right guys well this has been another episode of damsels in the dms until next time it's going down in the dms bye bye dms dms we don't need them we just leave them please yeah is going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.